Hello, welcome to Mark Langley's Horsemanship Podcast, a podcast helping people to understand their horses better, to provide solutions in a calm, connected way. I'm Jenny Barnes. And I'm Mark Langley. Hi Mark, today's podcast is all about how we work with horses as opposed to getting advice from you about something specific that we're having problems in our training with. So the first question today is from Melissa and she says that after a really long spell of over 12 months, she wants to bring her horse back into work. What advice can you give her or what process do you think she should follow to bring her horse back in? Um, I'll just go through a few things that I do, you know, um, you know, tick off a few things to make sure the horse is okay with. First thing, you know, when they come back in, are they still okay with us or, you know, say for instance, your horse went to a trainer and for some reason it had a spell and came back, but the training was a bit traumatic for it. It, was, it became fright and pressure that was obedient with the trainer. Then you've got to go in and find if your horse is kind of wary or suddenly a little different and um, unusually different to pressure and things like that. And if that was the case, then I can't really give you the answer. I'd have to go through a whole bunch of things to find out, you know, how to get the horse to understand pressure in a better way. But if it's just a horse that you've been working, you kind of know it pretty well and, you know, you just want to get it back in and, and, and riding again, then just look at the things that you need the horse to be okay with when you get back in the saddle. You don't have to sort of think of everything and, have some big program you've got to think what's it need what am I going to be calling upon in education wise to get this horse to be comfortable with um, the, the first thing which you know if everyone comes to my clinic where they're starting a baby or they've got an older horse with brace I always go to leading and find out where the holes are in leading and sometimes you learn a lot about your horse through leading and um, leading is not just how the horse follows follows the pressure on its pole and backs up off the nose Leading is, is how a horse feels about pressure um, and it's the steering, it's the whole bunch of things. So, you know, I, and also what it is, is is when you put pressure on a horse, does it start to search and follow a feel softly? Um, how does it think into the left rein and the right rein? So I, I get the horse leading up softly, you know, I get it to walk past, I get it to sort of follow a feel. Lots of U-turns, you know, where the horse goes past you in a straight line comes back so you you know it goes out to the end of the rope and then you pull it back and it turns and follows the feel back um you know lots of sort of nice hindquarter yields where you pick up a bend in the horse lift the rein up in the angle towards the wither and the horse can just step over and be just comfortable at, at, if you put a hold on the horse and say back forward back forward and, and have them not quite close in the sense of you know right here underneath its chin does it feel trapped and does it wriggle to that trap or does it sort of softly try and figure out where that where the path of least resistance or the sweet spot is, you know, is it comfortable with those things? So they're the things I'd sort of look look at, is it comfortable with? Because when you get on, you want to know when you pick up the rein, the horse is not going, oh, gee, that's really scary and I don't like that or I'm really braced. And um, and also you might find soreness or a tooth that's sort of, you know, so go over their mouth and everything, you know, feel for any sharp teeth up the sides and see if you can even get a dentist in to have a look, you know, if you're going to be putting a bit in their mouth. Um, but the first few rides, I'd just put a halter or a side pull on or something like that. If I've been doing a lot of leading, a few days of leading and stuff like that. The other thing I, I, I go over, before I go too far, if the horse is looking at you with the soft eye and coming up soft, once you've addressed that, you know, even approaching your horse, if it's not right, when you approach your horse, it's nervous, 
maybe just get it to sort of soften and be okay and comfortable with you. Don't go into all this stuff if you're, the horse is still kind of braced and a bit frightened because it's, you're in its space. So, you know, you might want to work on it, kind of looking at you with a soft eye as you approach it and work on that catching sort of stuff. But then I'd also look at, um, you know, and this could only be quick. You might spend just, a, a, you know, half an hour, an hour over one or two days just doing this leading and it might just, the horse, everything might fall back into place as horse is comfortable. Um, next thing I'd look at is the belly rope on the horse. Um, even if a horse was always used to be a bit bitey with a saddle or something like that, um, I'd, I'd get used to belly pressure like I was training a young horse. I'm not just, you know, chucking a saddle on it and girthing it up because maybe once upon a time it was a bit of a coal-backed uh, sensitive belly horse that might have had a bit of bronchial buck when it, when it got a fright to that pressure. And maybe while it was in work, it sort of disappeared. But with 12 months off, it might adjust, might just poke its head up again. So you want to limit the chances of it getting a fright with the girth. So I do girthing pressure. Um, yeah, so I'm up with belly rope on, girth up a little, loosen it up a little, girth up a little, see, see how sensitive it is first. And then if your horse is a bit bracy and tight, um, then I'd start to do some little leading lessons where I'd actually pull the rope forward, you know, up past its shoulder and see if it can figure it out if it kind of, and just rock the rope a little till the horse moves forward. Some horses you can help a little bit with a little bit of head pressure just to help them take that first step. Um, but you want to just get them mainly just kind of following that girth. So if they get tight, they, the alternative is to lead forward. So you're treating it as a leading lesson, lead forward with that girth. And once they're soft to lean forward with the girth, you just, you know, start to tighten up again. So when you're standing still, you're just lifting in your hand a little bit and lift straight up for the non-movement movement. If the horse walks off, you just let it walk off. And then when it gets to a certain point, so you've just walked into pressure and then that pressure will be pulling back to you. And then they'll start to feel that and go, oh, maybe I'll come back a bit. And, 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 and that you can do over a few days just to get them to kind of be very comfortable with the girth. But if you don't see any hardness in the eye and you don't want to spend all that time leading with the girth, then if you're pretty comfortable, the horse is soft around the barrel and it's not kind of worried about it. You've got it moving around a bit and pull the girth up while it's moving and stuff like that. Well, you don't have to if there's no brace or anxiety or angriness uh, or oversensitivity. You don't necessarily have to teach them to lead really well with the girth. You've just got to make sure they're safe to carry that saddle. And then, as I say, just like from there, saddle, um, you know, come into the pressure if I'm walking up. Notice everything in the horse. If you're walking up the saddle, the horse just sort of gets a hard eye. We'll maybe teach that horse to softly walk and, and you hold the saddle and then put the saddle on them as they walk into the saddle and, you know, just re reintroduce those things to them. Um, but once you've worked on the feel and the leading, you know, the steering is going to be working a lot better. Uh, make sure that they, when they're bending and doing their tight turns, they're bending well in their tight turns and coming back around and they're backing up nicely, nice smooth back up. And then do it all from a mounting block, you know, lead, lead them around you at a mounting block if they're suddenly when you're up there and one eye or the other, they're nervous, then you just stand a bit longer to get them to come into that mounting block and uh, make sure that you've seen them trot and even canter in the saddle. Uh, so if you can set it up, you can get a canter on a long line on them and get them to canter out. That's be really good. Um, yeah, and, and then pretty well, yeah, if they, they're looking at you both sides, if they can carry something over their back on both eyes, that worries them even a flag that you're just swooshing around while they're walking around. Um, on one side or the other and they're comfortable with that you can hold the flag up in the air and it's sort of you know put in different positions in their eyes and there's no frightening bits then then you know and they've seen you on both sides in the mounting but then generally that you should be pretty good um, but the things you want to look out for as a telltale sign of danger uh, is 
that uh, I was moving my horse around the mounting block and I just shifted a little bit and pulled the saddle and it stopped frozen. Oh, I should be right to get on. Well, no, no, if it stopped frozen, I'd probably say no move. And I and I want to be able to do something, make the horse just a little anxious. And if it freezes when it gets anxious, I wouldn't get on it till I've taken the freeze out of it. I, I, as a rule of thumb, I try and avoid getting on horses that have a freeze response when they suddenly get a little nervous. So I create a movement. Uh, and the movement and when and when they can tell you the truth as in horses always tell the truth it's just that we've taught them over the years to withhold the truth so um so it's not that then they're lying they're withholding the truth by hiding into a learned state of helplessness sometimes and that can be in the freeze or shutting down and stuff like that if you see that and you can't read your horse then you want to get it thinking again and doing something and generally try and get some movement in it see if you can get it moving and thinking until the horse is open and engaging with everything and then yeah just get on and ride um and you know take it slowly first if you want um if you were worried about legs you know where you want maybe put the flag or something around from the girth back where the legs are going to go just bump it a little and see if the horse will move forward to that bumping feel and that's not angry it's not kicking on both sides and then you know that to the legs it might be a bit more supple um yeah just work through that and yeah Get on and ride. <laughs> it's all about that brace. It's all about that brace. <laughs> um, right, the next question is from Sue, and it's about repetition in training and how women to know when women to stop. So she's got an example. She's training with a horse to do some floating at home, and she thinks they're making progress, but then she'll get a refusal and her horse, an explosion from a horse. So she keeps trying because she doesn't want to end on the explosion. Another example is that she took her gelding to get his um, scar manipulation done. They had a series of exercises to repeat daily for a month. They got to about two and a half weeks and he just seemed shut down and dull in his mind. So she stopped and tried to do the exercises another way. She's also heard trainers say, for example, you can never do too many backups. But she says she can, can't you, if your horse is not engaging in his mind with the activity. Yes, correct. So you're correct in what you're saying there at the end. Um, so there, I remember, like, you know, one of the big programs of horsemanship that a lot of people be aware of was, um, you know, remember the Pirelli Natural Horsemanship. And I think because uh, of Pat's name, was Pat Pirelli, he used to have a series of P things. And one of the things that um, I heard um him say was we say practice makes perfect but he had this thing that says perfect practice makes perfect and um and and that's really correct but the problem is is if it's our version of perfect it may not be perfect so what i'm saying in that what i'm what i'm sort of relating to in that is you can practice something over and over and over and dull a horse like you said at the end, if the horse is not active, it's not aware of its body, it's not uh, free in its mind and feeling good and it's not finding the sweet spot in there, then it will grind down into a brace and you can actually um, wear the horse out with transition in its mind. Whereas good transition softens a horse and makes it feel better. So you're bringing it out of a bog. So this is the hardest thing is if someone goes and practice something a hundred times, they'll bog a horse down, freeze it, shut it down, whatever, or they'll improve a horse. So 
if so you have to see and understand and this is the part i can't sort of just hand through a, a podcast or even a video is you have to see when a horse's eye is open and aware and its body is kind of in that searching i want to find the answer frame of mind and you then then you give it the answer or it finds the answer in those moments and there's a moment of sort of softness in there where the horse goes i found that um now if they find that soft sweet spot in that little thing that you're asking then they felt good so and every transition we ask of a horse to do usually is a transition that is making the horse as i said feel better but it's activating its mind so it's not shutting it down so technically a hundred backups should improve a horse not degrade a horse or a hundred whatever you're asking but unfortunately a lot of repetition can destroy a horse not destroy completely but you know make it harder uh or make it feel worse so at the end of the day it's our assessment of the horse consistently that makes us aware of if the horse is improving or, or regressing so um how do i answer the question it's i i reward horses and give them a little break so when i'm teaching people about getting a horse to follow a feel and you know with a bit of feel of a legs or a feel of a rein or feel of something the horse feels good about finding the answer because it's constantly finding the path of least resistance and then it finds that spot where the mind and the feet and everything's lined up and it feels good now if you can see and know where that spot is and the horse acknowledges that you acknowledge it then then that sweet spot might hold it a little bit for a few moments for that horse to feel like that was good and it starts to want to hunt that because every other moment outside of that moment is not quite right so repetition is just repeating it and improving it all the time as in you know maybe giving it a longer step or something like that um but you stop with your horse for a second to say oh good we'll stop here and just have a rest eh? so just let the horse have some mental time out so when i reward a horse for me when i'm teaching people the release of pressure is not the reward the horse finding comfort within the question is the reward but the extra reward on top like the icing on the cake is well let's stop and just have a little mental you know rest and that could be a reward or it might scratch you for a bit or something or do something else now the horse is not hunting a scratch as a reward it's not hunting that rest it's just me saying let's, let's stop for a second so we don't cook the horse or something like that instead of going repeat 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 till we lose interest but basically um the, the 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 understanding of the awareness of the trainer and the detail that they're looking at will determine whether repetition is bad or good to the horse uh, and i'll repeat something over and over and over till i get it, it right but like so people have seen me in a clinic just holding a horse going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards 
Or another actually another example would be um, I backed a horse. It was a really dull horse, didn't have a lot of try in it at all, and I backed it for two lengths of the arena in long reins. And I think people were wondering why is he hanging on to it so much? The horse is backing. When is he going to reward it? Well, I knew that particular horse could spend its whole life doing re re repetitive forwards to backwards and feel bad in a backup its whole life because it didn't know how to think backwards or engage with that backup until there was one moment in that backup, its mind and its feet got together and it actually started to think backwards and walk backwards. And that's the moment I released. But I could have went, I could, I could have did forwards and backwards lessons for years on that horse and it would just end up shutting down more. So I had to commit to backup until the horse knew that a backup could feel good because it wasn't committing its thoughts to it and it had learned to block people out. So that's why horses go dull, duller when we do lots of repetition is because they actually haven't found it. They haven't thought about it and they haven't engaged with it and they haven't searched into that movement or whatever we're, we're asking. But if a horse starts to try and get some interest, um, so this will be another little thing in the answer is if the horse gets a little bit interested, then you go, thanks for being interested and you leave him alone. Because if it's a horse that started to really dull out, you don't do repetition, repetition, because that's what's put in there. Bad repetitions put in there. So for some horses, the first question and the first rep repetition I do is, can you wake up? And they go, yeah. And you go, thanks. Let's do nothing now. Oh. And then I go, can you wake up? And they go, yeah. So that might be their first lesson of repetition. Can you wake up? And then they go, yes, I can. And they go, oh, that wasn't so hard. And then they all of a sudden become awake for their second repetition, which might be, can you take one step awake? Oh, that was easy. But if I was repeating, move backwards while you're asleep three steps and then come forwards, then I would just grind them into oblivion. So I'm sorry, I can't give you a real, real clear answer on this, but I'm, I'm guessing that your, your answer is correct in the horse has to be aware and thinking about what it's doing, it has to be finding comfort in it, and then you can uh, repeat it, but you're not repeating it over and over and over and over and over and over and over like that. Otherwise, you will dull even a soft horse that's got try because they say, what's the point? So you have to have breaks, uh, some repetitions to find a really nice one, a bit of a break, do something else, come back and do it, so you don't um, be, uh, get a get an interested horse bored. Um, so yeah, you have to do that. You still can have repetition, but you don't over-repeat. To, to, to create a boredom in your horse. Um, for the horses that have been previously shut down or blocked out, um, their first job is to do something very simple, very well, which, can, which like I said, could be just wake up, uh, be present, thank you, and reward. And then you go to the next thing. But once they're present and they're searching, everything after that becomes easy because they're actually trying to do it for themselves. And when they're doing it for themselves, then the repetition keeps them open and awake. That was an amazing answer, Mark. I, that just incredible listening to you, honestly. Um, oh, really? I was, I was a bit lost in it. I started no. going around, around in circles myself. but And I think um, part of your, you know, what you're trying to say is that people uh, constantly have to be aware of where the horse is at. You know, it's not about just training. It's about having that consciousness of your what your horse is thinking and feeling. Um, and what I've seen you do over and over again, and I think, part of your um, many talents is your ability to kind of spring up an, a new way of giving a horse 
um, inspiration to try something different, to always try and different new things to keep their mind stimulated, which, which you mentioned in that answer as well. So we're going to move on to the next question um, from Kate from Belgium, who has a, another sort of uh, question for you to get you thinking. She would like your really honest opinion with this one. She has lost a bit of trust in her horse. She's a little bit afraid of him now. Um, she's got a trainer who can take a horse on who says that he can resolve their problem 100%. But she doesn't really think there's a problem with the horse. She feels the problem is probably with her. And she feels her horse probably senses that she has trust issues and it's reflecting on their relationship. Her question is, do you think it's possible with a certain type of character in a human and a certain type of character in a horse are just not compatible, they don't match. Um, she just doesn't want to invest a lot of herself in her horse um, if she doesn't feel secure with him and she just would like to know if you've ever come across this before. You either cut out for Afghanistan or not, I suppose, in, in, in the sense, so, you know, everyone is suited Everyone, I, I meet so many people in your boat at, at clinics that it, um, sometimes may feel they might have bit off more than they can chew with a horse and and they get a little hard on themselves and I say, you know, don't get hard on yourself. It's something that, it's just something, it's life, it's the way it is. Not every person's going to be right. No, every, you know, horses, horses choose, choose other horses they want to be around, they choose horses they don't want to be around, uh, things like that. Um, I think it's very good to recognise where you're at uh, in your own strengths and weaknesses, and um, there's a horse that's kind of a softer horse, probably hasn't got as much past trauma. See, uh, I don't want you to be hard on yourself um, in whatever answer I'm going to give you, because your horse has past trauma that someone's put in it now. Any strong, scary trainer could get that horse to be obedient again, but as soon as that horse sees a softness and a weakness in a person, now just remember softness is not always weakness. Softness may be just a little lack of clarity for that moment or the horse not being frightened of a person. So um, a horse that has, and I see your horse as having past trauma and past training problems, and I think someone else has put some of that in your horse. Um, so he's becoming defensive on you as a human, not as you as a person personally, but he's just seeing that he's not scared of you. So he's starting to challenge you uh, because you're softer personality or whatever. So there will be plenty of horses out there that haven't had that past trauma. They're a softer horse and they just need somebody to help them. Um, so I see a lot of thoroughbreds, you know, they just want somebody to help them. Uh, just help me please. Cause they're, they're too frightened to be angry, some of those horses, or they're too sensitive and they're just always constantly on search and seek and um, a little bit of flight mode. So so they're really easy horses for someone with a soft personality that's uh, to, to help because they're, they're not defensive and angry and, you know, looking at people like you're challenging me and you're, you're, you're ruining my life. Um, so those horses are very much more suited to someone who can just, you just be strong enough to stand quietly and go, Hey, I can help you. I can make you feel good. And then all you have to do is learn better techniques and rein management, rope management, 
how to manage your own sort of, you know, ups and downs so you're not bouncing around too much and then those horses, um, you know, aren't going to challenge you in that fearful sort of way that your horse is probably challenging you. So um, I think you would be more suited to, to a horse that's not strongly defensive against humans in general because of what someone's put in him. Um, because if the other trainer takes him on and doesn't get trust in humans in general, so, uh, and just makes him sort of frightened and obedient, so he's going, no, I'm too scared to make a mistake, in time, that anger and fear and all that will come out and his defensive nature will still be there. Okay, so I see lots of shut down obedient horses that open up because they're not frightened of their owners, um, but they shut down as soon as they get with someone who frightens them again. Um, so I believe for you, you may already know half the answer, but I'd say there'd be a softer horse out there that's gonna make you feel good, feel a lot more helpful, and you're gonna do um, some really good work with. Um, but for your defensive horse, um, be careful he doesn't go to someone who's just gonna put him back in that state of scared obedience, which he's already been put in that's made him sort of aggressive and defensive. Um, so, so, so also be, care, be careful of your, your choice of whoever takes on the horse, because uh, a strong person obviously, as I say, might make him obedient, but um, it doesn't make him feel better. And so I think you've got to also acknowledge that as well. Um, and also practice, like what I say to people is don't feel bad because if I went out to learn something, I'm going to practice on a green slope, learn how to ski. I'm not going to practice on a black slope. And horses with that defensive nature that have had that put in them, uh, it is a bit like learning on a black slope where there's plenty of horses out there that, um, you know, a bit more forgiving, you can make a few mistakes and it doesn't matter. Um, and they just generally like being around people as well. And, and, and they're going to give you a lot of fulfilment, but yet you still get a lot of fulfilment because they're still going to have all their things that you can help. Um, but they've been let down by other people and stuff like that. So, so you know, there's still a lot in it. But, yeah, don't... Um, if you feel is push you to your edge... Maybe a, maybe a horse is just a little different personality would be much better for you, I think. Okay, your last question today, Mark, is from Hannah. And it's all about working with stallions. So she'd like to know about your experience with starting and developing young stallions. She's got a horse called Lord. He's going to be four in May. So he's generally friendly, trusts humans, and is used to basic handling. Trailer loading has never been a problem. She's had him for three years. They've moved recently to mountain pastures, um, sorry, from mountain pastures where he was with a herd of stallions, so lots of horse socialising, uh, but the move helped him with his health. Um, so he had a few problems and yeah, he was um, due to selenium, which caused weakness in his front legs. And so she sort of had him in a different area where she could really help build up his strength. She's done lots of exercise with, with him, crossing bridges, building trust, lots of uh, taking up hills and steps and all sorts of things and building up curiosity and patience. He's smart and it's been easy to communicate the boundaries with him. Now, though, he's going into puberty and it's changing. His hormones upheavals are a little bit confusing. She thinks with both of them. There's no aggression in him, but all of a sudden a lot of energy, which she actually likes, um, and but she'd love to know how to direct it properly. 
there's a little bit more of persistent boundary testing. So no, I don't want to do this stubborn attitude. She's finding that clear repetition of basic rules will calm him. And she feels that working on tasks and building up his skills will help. But some people have told her that she's left the real work too late. And of course, um, when, you, when you look back on his history, his health was a reason that she couldn't do a lot with him um, before. She didn't want to hurry him. So she's looking for a gentler, sensible way to work so that they can both grow and enjoy it. And um, she's just wondering if you have any insights and guidance. Mm. Firstly, I want to say this to everybody out there, you know, is I used to start, you know, all different horses. And I, I remember there was someone who used to start horses that had a different rate for different horses, stains more, and, like they were harder and stuff like that. And I didn't find that the case with stains, you know, they were just as soft. You know, I think I, you know, they're just big puppy dogs. Um, but you have to also be careful of that high level of desire that they have at that sort of, you know, time of year and around mares and stuff like that and the high senses and stuff and how you manage it. But in saying that, without that around, there was no difference to training a stallion than any other horse. Um, it's not that they're different. And, I, and it saddens me that stallions get treated so differently because, you know, if, if you ever sort of, you know, dreamed about what animal, animal you come back as, you know, you wouldn't want to come back in a human world as a stain because the chances of getting treated worse and being isolated and persecuted because of what you are would, would be a lot stronger. And that's what I mean is stains kept singular in, in small paddocks and boxes, pacing fences all day long, being taken out to mares to, to you know, all that. It's, it's, it's a torturous life. So um, just to sort of put a message out to everyone that, that has a stallion, you know, they are horses and, and they're a living animal and, and somehow we've got to sort of manage it so they can sort of have a fairly happy life and not just sort of put foals on the ground so we can have nice horses that we can breed. Um, but anyway, it's their own. But, but yeah, so going into the training of him, you know, I've had heard people say you've got to rule with an iron fist with a stallion and it's not that you've got to be hard on them. I see people being hard on them, you know, there's stallion bridles with the chain on it and, you know, cause, and, and really a stallion bridle, I guess, is someone trying to say, well, the boundary's clearer on that than another horse. And yes, you have to be clear with the boundaries, but you don't have to inflict pain on the horse for that. So if you can really sort of, you know, the biggest thing you're going to focus on is him having self-management um, in certain situations. Um, so the best stallions are the ones that have an alternative when that adrenaline might be up, especially, you know, if they were sort of, you know, mares around and stuff like that. And they, they have to know how to let go of a strong thought. Now, they can do it in the wild with each other. Like one stallion can turn another stallion around and send him on his way. And uh, otherwise there's outright conflict. And we don't want to be in a constant conflict with our stallion. But so he's at that stage now. You started to sound like you're clearing up boundaries, but keep boundaries very clear and constantly monitor how well he lets go of strong thoughts. Okay, so basically um, you want to start to manipulate him in a way that is, okay, he's starting to gaze off in the distance. How easy um, at this moment is it for him to let go of that thought? So that moment could be a mess 
that's just over there or, or a horse trotting up and down a fence and him is like, whoa, wow, what's that going on over there? Well, the level of that is nothing compared to when there's a mare in season right in front of him. So if he's going, wow, what's that over there? And you take a little feel on that rope and he can't let go of that thought, well, put yourself in a position where there's a mare right there and he won't let go of that thought. So you've got to sort of start to um, grade the level of the thoughts that he's seeing and work out, you know, may not be important, okay? The simple one might be a positive thought. People kind of, I say to someone, why would you let your horse go in the float? Oh, because that's good. I said, yeah, but the horse went in with a hard thought. You might see that as positive, but the horse couldn't let go of that push in the way it walked in. You think it's going to let go of the run the run out when it runs out? Uh, or the way that horse took that, um, that bit or the way the horse took an apple out of your hand. You couldn't get that horse to let go of that thought in a positive thing. So when it wants to kick another horse, you think it's going to, you're going to be able to take, let go of that. And, and um, so when the horse is doing something we want and it might be a bit pushy or cute about the way it sort of comes up for a scratch or backs up to us for a scratch, we giggle a bit. But a positive thought is uh, that a horse won't let go of is only a negative thought that they won't let go of. So you've got to manage even his positive interactions with you in a way that's clear and decisive so he knows that he can let go of that and, and he can uh, stop. So it could be just the way he walks up to sniff on you. If it's a hard, strong push, you just say, no, not like that, but we'll do it softly. So we can let go of that thought because uh, it has to be sort of um, clear to him all the way through. So... A negative thought might be, oh, there's a mare, I want to run off. That might be negative to you. Um, so you, you've got to say, let go of that thought. So if he, if he looks across to a, to a horse, let him look. But when you pick up on a feel, if he can't let go and come back just straight away when you ask, then you say, well, you need to let go of that, come back. So you let him look. You don't trap him. You don't say, don't look at anything like some people do with their stallions. You just say, you're allowed to have thoughts, but when I need you to come back, are you available? And you slowly test it um, and until that you know in a medium environment, he can look at a horse in the distance dropping up down the fence. You just have to step across, pick up a field, and he says, right, got you. We can go over here now and let go of those thoughts. And once he's at that stage that, that he's kind of happily going and coming and going and coming with his thoughts, they're free Either way, they go away and they come back, nice and easy, nice and equal. The thought goes away and comes back, equal. Once that's equal in a medium environment, then it's easier to test him in a more um, sort of emotional environment where there's bigger things like mares in seas and more horses, all that sort of stuff. But you have to be constantly monitoring how easy he can let go of something to take on something new and, and, and just any fixations, you know, gate fixations, gazes, um, you know, not thinking about from from you to the gate, uh, destinating, constantly teaching them to let go of those things and teaching them to be constantly in the present, in the area where it is. Um, and, and, and that becomes more of a habit. Uh, as I say, if you're not micromanaging him uh, and, and you're allowing him to think about things, think his way through things, then and he'll stay a happy horse. Um, as I say, you just need to know that he, he can... Um, take on a new thought by letting go of an old one easily. Um, and, yeah, and then, then you know he's more set up 
to the big environment when, when, when it gets harder, when you're riding him out and stuff like that. But that has to be like become a bit of a habit for you and him, um, especially for the stronger-minded, easily distracted horses. doesn't matter what horse it is. The ones that get anxious very easily because they're constantly distracted uh, or the fixators, the reason they stay like that is because they don't know how to regulate that because we've never said, well, this is going to make you feel better anyway. Um, so they just bounce around all the time, not knowing, not knowing which is, you know, what's what and, and where, where the sweet spot is. So with most horses, that's the, the that's the conversation you're constantly having. It's just that with the certain, you know, horses, you have to be a bit more diligent with it and a lot clearer uh, yeah, with it. And letting them socialise. Yes. Yeah, that's 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 so important. Um, you know, what I was saying before about stallions are kind of persecuted because of their stallions. Um, the less they socialise and the less they're uh, having that happy interaction with horses, the more extreme it seems when they see horses and the more exciting it may seem. It's the same philosophy as, you know, oh, I want to, my horse has separation anxiety, so I'm going to put it in a paddock on its own to get it used to being on its own. So then when I ride with other horses, it, would have, it, won't, it won't be attached to anyone. Well, they end up with the opposite is because the horse... Uh, is so alone when it sees other horses it's kind of like a huge experience for it so it can get either super anxious super defensive angry at other horses it can hook onto any horse that was it was near for that night more than a horse that's been in a herd um, because those horses in a herd are, are in a stable mental environment all the time for longer so a person in a stressful job takes the stress home so a horse that's stressed in the paddock is going to be stressed in a new environment because they're carrying stress all the way through. So um, with stallions, it's important that they're happy. And when they're babies, if they do get to engage with other horses as they're growing, and like being around tough mares, like a wild stallion does not do what a, 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 a humanised stallion does to mares as in they're very, they, they don't want to get hurt. So they, 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 they breed body language of other, especially mares, um, when it comes to breeding, they actually can be very soft gentlemen because they've grown up knowing what danger is, I suppose, and instead of just not knowing dangers and just, you know, only seeing mares every now and again. Um, and it makes them a lot happier for longer. So I think, I think in managing stallions, you know, you've got to think of all those things to really help them out. But um, it's just clarity and they, they still give them a life that they feel good in. So, you know, if, you, if they go good in a little mob of geldings without mares, obviously not every environment's the same, but it's important that they have company. And, you know, our stallion comes over the hill and he, uh, well, this is when they're all paddocked together in the big paddock. Um, he'd come over the hill once every so often and go around all the geldings and have a little play and then he'd go off on his merry way to stand under a tree with the mares and, um, you know, he just, the geldings knew that they just couldn't get close to his mob, too close to his mob, but they'd sometimes follow the mob and follow that other mob all the way around the, the property. Um, but he, he, he never made it, he went, never went out of his way when things were organised to, to, to harm any other horse. Very good. We'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Mark, and thank you to all the questions that have come through from the members. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Jenny. You can learn more from Mark online through his online training videos. Just search Mark Langley Horsemanship. There's over 380 training videos which everyone has access to with a seven-day free trial. If you like what you see, it's just $15 a month from there. 
that's help where you need it.